Um, this is not a trick question. Do you know what I see when I look across this room? Hope. Hope. I see hope. Why hope? Because I know the potential that lies in this room. I see hope because I know there are more of you that are taking ownership of this house here and said, this is where I belong. This is my, I'm taking ownership. I see hope because I know there are enough giftings, enough talent, enough heart, enough stamina in this place that if we were to begin to apply it, we could turn Megs, McMinn, Ray, Monroe County upside down for Jesus. I see hope. Hope because I'm completely convinced. I don't care your, uh, your ethnicity, how old you are, how young you are, where you come from, what side of the tracks you grew up on. I am convinced that everyone in here, God wants to do something through you. I don't care where you're from. don't care what you've done. He wants to do something through you. And, and let me why is it, isn't it easier for us to believe that about somebody else? Like, well, I hear that. Yeah, I know God wants to use them. But then we'll look. Yeah, I believe that about others. But me, why would God use me? And that's the question, the final question we're going to wrestle with. Why would God use me? Well, let, let me ask you. Have you ever wondered why you were born this time in history, this era? Hey, or, or why you, you were born where you were at the time frame in that neighborhood. Uh, or maybe you moved here. You say, wonder, well, hey, I, I know why I moved here, to get away from everything. To just get away, come to where it's quiet. And I know you thought that was your idea. But somehow God began to place little things. And here's why I believe. You, were, cause you ever heard somebody say, I, I just wasn't born in the right part of history. No, you were born exactly where God wanted you to be. Why? Because God has something big he wants to do through you. That's why you were born into that neighborhood. That's why your story matters. That's why the things that have happened to you, that God wants to take those things and use them as a testimony. Are you hearing me? Most of us want the money without the test. Come on. Come on, Chris, you know that was good. I believe that when God decided to put you in this moment in history, in that city, in that neighborhood, in that place, he was placing you there for a purpose. Those that moved here, he, played, he got you somehow to move here. But again, we're really good at making excuses, and we're really good at making them sound spiritual. Because if we give spiritual excuses, they just sound better. I just don't know the Bible well enough, Kelly. I just say, you know what? Other people, man, I look at other people, they're so spiritual. When they pray, I know God hears them pray. I just can't pray like that. Or I'm not gifted or talented like others. Or here, here's a good one. I still lose my temper at times. I still say things I shouldn't say. Still do things I shouldn't do, Kelly. I, I just don't believe it. I have a jacked up past, Kelly. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I mean, and I could go on. But let me ask you the real question, and I need you to be very honest. How many would say, Kelly, if I'm being honest, I have felt or even currently feel like 
Why would God use me? And, and I doubt God's willingness or the ability to even use me. Come on. Hey, hey maybe you don't want to raise your hand, but I'll tell you right now. Listen, let your own little secret. So do I. So do I. Every leader, every pastor feels like, man, why would God use me? Why, why, why would God even think about using someone like me? We're going to be a couple places in the Bible today. Um, so if you brought a physical Bible, man, you're going to get you flipping on. Um, but if not, you won't, we'll bring it up here. Uh, let me give you a little backstory. We're going to be in Judges 6. Um, the Israelites had once again turned their back on God. They were out doing everything God told them not to do. So God allows this group called the Midianites to come in and kind of just take over, man. And this is going on for seven years where, where when they would plant the crops, the Israelites would plant the crops, the Midianites would come in and just ravage the land, burn the crop fields down, leave them without anything. They'd come in, stole all their sheep, all their cattle, everything. And God allowed the Midianites to come in and do that. And it goes on for seven years. And here's the result of that. Judges 6, 6. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. My biggest question when I first read that is, why did it take you seven years to finally cry out for help? I, I mean, come on, what, what took them so long? But anyway, God sends them a prophet to remind them, hey, I want to remind you, I brought you out of slavery, out of Egypt. I drove out all your enemies and gave you their land. And I did everything. And then here you go and do everything I told you not to. But still, I'm going to rescue you. And I'm going to do that through sending you somebody. And we're about to get introduced to a man named Gideon. Anybody familiar with Gideon? Let, let me tell you, before, let me set this up, because Gideon, I'm, I'm going to tell you who Gideon was in, in the way I, only way I know how. Uh, we just had the 2022 inductees announced for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, people like Pat Benatar, anybody remember that? Come on. we got one super fan. Uh, what about Carly Simon? Oh, y'all are so vain. Um, come on. Still, still. Uh, then we had Harry Belafonte. Come on now. Uh, Eminem. Y'all are a bunch of heathens. I'm telling you, man. And then, and then we had Tennessee's very own Dolly Parton. Come on now. Dolly Parton, man, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, and, and why I say that is what they do, they, they take and they recognize these people that have had these great careers throughout history, these singers. You, they do it for athletes, ho, uh, football Hall of Fame, baseball, basketball, and they're recognizing these are the best of the best. Well, how many knows the Bible has a Hall of Fame also? It's found in Hebrews 11, where it lists the heroes of our faith. It lists people like Moses, like Jacob, Abraham, uh, Joseph. Toward the end of all these, Gideon gets fitted in there. A hero of the faith. And I say that because I want you to see the first time we meet one of the heroes of our faith. Judges 6, starting with verse 11. 
The angel of the Lord came down and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's Hall of Fame material right there. Hall of Fame, mighty warrior. I get it. I see why he's in the Hall of Fame. Well, let's look at what this Hall of Famer, how he responds. Pardon me, my Lord. Now, I told you 9 a.m. Anytime I hear this, I hear it in an English accent. Gideon's, so Gideon's in my head is, pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, no, it's, 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 that's a hallmark British accent, meaning very bad. Uh, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about? You know what he's doing? He's responding to God the way a lot of us do. Oh, the Lord is with us? Then why is this happening to me? Oh, the Lord is with me? Then, then why am I going in debt right now? Oh, the Lord is with me? Why have I got all these health issues? Oh, the Lord is with me? And that's what we do. And he begins to ask a lot of the questions that we've been asking throughout this series. A lot of the same questions. And then Judges 6, uh, verses 14, 15. So the Lord, I love this because it's like God didn't even hear what he just said. God just says, I'm not even going to deal with that right now. Let me get to the point. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Again, pardon me, my Lord. Uh, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in the family. Gideon says, I think you got the wrong man, God. Uh, I don't know if you know my family's history. I'm speaking to somebody right now. I don't know if you know anything about my family, but we're not what you would call the elite. In fact, we're the weakest in, in our clan, and, and I'll be out of them. I'm the runt of the litter. Uh, so I'm just going to tell you, God, there's people better, bigger, more talented, stronger than me that would be, make a better fit for what you're getting ready to do, God. Why would you use me? Come on. You ever wrestle with that question? I mean, even here at church, we wrestle with it. I, I, I believe it's not like uh, that a lot of people don't really want to get involved, but they keep coming back with that question. Why would God use me or why would they even want to use me here? And I get it. I've asked that question many times. I've asked the question because in my mind, me being a pastor does not make sense. It doesn't. I know my failures past and present. I know my hangups past and present. I know my weaknesses. And when I look at all those things, all the reasons why I would not make a great pastor, why I would, why would, why would God use it? all those add up really big. And when I look over to pile, over to pile of reasons I should, it don't make sense. Why would God use me? Well, if we're going to ask that question. The question we got to ask, well, what kind of people does God use? Because I think that's important. We know what, what kind of people does he use? So to do that, we're going to look at another Hall of Famer, Moses. Moses, when you hear or think of Moses, what are some of the things you think of? Um, 
God used him to lead the people, splitting the part with the Red Sea wide open, him leading the children of Israel out. God used him to bring the plagues there. Uh, what else? He hit the rock and water gushed out. Uh, he prayed and manna fell. What else, Ben? Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And we hear all those things, the parting of the Red Sea. We hear all those things. But how many know before Moses was all that and did all that, there was another Moses, another Moses that wrestled with his identity. And why wouldn't he wrestle with his identity? I mean, he was born a Jew, and then, then, and then uh, he got taken in by an Egyptian family, raised Egyptian, and then until he's out and he sees a, an Egyptian uh, a real, uh, going after him, beating one of his fellow people, ends up murdering that Egyptian, uh, Egyptian going on the run, so he's giving this, who am I really? Am I, am I Jewish? Am I Egyptian? What, 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 what's going on? And he had all these things going on in his head. So when you study the story of Moses, if you're taking notes, you'll find this. God uses the insecure. Those that are filled with insecurity. Those that wrestle with self-doubt. Those that wrestle with who they really are. I mean, you look at Moses or Exodus 3. Moses encounters God via the burning bush. God begins to tell Moses, hey, I've seen all the cruelty that's going on uh, to my people, and, and, and I'm about to send somebody to set them free. Up to that point, I believe Moses is like, it's about time, God. You go, God. You get them. You set these people free. And then God says this in verse 10 of 3. So now Go. I'm sending you. I believe Moses is like, what do you mean me? He says, I'm sending you to bring the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I've seen everything that's going on there, the cruelty, the oppression, and I'm going to use you to bring them out. And immediately Moses' insecurities begin to rise to the surface. His self-doubt. And Moses, just like many of us, begins to give God excuses as to why God can't use him. I mean, look, check it out, verse 11 of chapter 3. Moses said to God, say those first three words, underline. Who? Say it again. Moses said, who am I, God? Who am I to go before Pharaoh? Who am I to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Here's what Moses began. Moses is saying this, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified to do it. Uh, God, God who, who am I? You're, you're talking to the wrong person. I'm just not qualified. And look what God says in verse 12. I will be with you. That should have been enough. I mean, Moses, oh, you're going to go with me? Okay, I'm in. But, but here we go, verse 13. Moses said, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? I was like, God, I don't even know his name. I don't, you're, you're, they're going to ask me who you are. And I'm, what am I going to say? What he was saying is this. I'm not educated enough. I'm not educated enough. I don't know enough about you to go do this. I, I'm not the kind of person, the educated kind of person with expertise that they would expect to be standing up and speaking for God. 
This goes on excuse after excuse for the rest of chapter 13 on end of chapter 14. For 14 uh, chapter 14 opens up with this. He, uh, Moses says, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to what I say? What if when I tell them, they say, the Lord did not appear to you. You know what he's saying? I don't have the influence. I'm not someone with that kind of pull that they're automatically going to believe. I don't have the pull. I don't have the power. I don't have the influence. If you'll remember, God, I'm the guy that went on the run after killing a man. I don't, my, my name doesn't mean a whole lot here. I don't have the influence. And again, verse 10 of chapter 4, Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. What's he doing? He's beginning to make his excuses sound spiritual. And here's what he's saying. I don't have that gifting. I don't have that gifting, God. This isn't my calling, God. I'm fine sitting in the background. I'm fine, fine doing these things over here, but that, come on. I'm fine with all this other, but come on. That's not my, come on. That gets you so much. It's not my gifting. It's not my calling. But look what God says, or Moses says again. After that excuse, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Finally, Moses gets down to the real reason. I don't want to. I really don't want to, God. Send somebody else. Send somebody else more educated, somebody with more influence, uh, somebody more skilled, more educated, more influence. Get somebody else to do it. I don't want to. God, and if, if most would be honest, he'd be like, God, it's not because I don't want to be used by you. I want to be used by you, but I have all these insecurities, and I just don't feel like I'm enough. So before God led, before Moses led God's children out of Egypt, before Moses ever was used by God to bring uh, the, the Ten Commandments down to his people, before the splitting of the Red Sea, before the, the uh, Heroes Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith, Moses, there was the insecure Moses. Some of you have given those same excuses to God. I'm not qualified. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not the most popular person. I don't have that kind of influence. I'm not gifted or talented like others. Or I've got an ugly past, God. Can I tell you, sometimes those insecurities can be a good thing. Because when you realize you're not enough on your own, that you have to lean into God. But if you don't lean into God with those insecurities, that's when they will keep you from being used by God. Look how God responds to Moses after all the excuses. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths, Moses? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'm going to help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. God was like, Moses, you don't think I know all these things you're telling me? You don't think I know that you don't have any influence, that your name doesn't have any weight with the people? You don't think I know that you, you've been wandering around uh, uh, keeping sheep and doing things and on the run for your life? You don't think I don't know any of those things? I know them, and I still want to use you. 
I know it all. So God uses the insecure. What else does he use? God uses the most unlikely people. Look at your neighbor say he's talking to you. <laughs> Y'all said that a little too enthusiastically. We've talked about, one of my favorite people in the Bible is David. And we've talked about him for, uh, before, but when God has uh, said, you know what, I'm done with Saul. I'm going to anoint a new king. And he sends uh, the, the prophet Samuel to Jesse's house to say, hey, I want you to go to Jesse's house. There's where you're going to find the new king to anoint. Samuel shows up. The prophet Samuel shows up, and this is what happened First 1 Samuel 16, 6. When he arrived, Samuel, Samuel saw Eliab, that was, his, that was Jesse's firstborn, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me now. Samuel looked at him and said, this guy looks like a king. This guy looks exactly like somebody God wants to use. And then God rebukes him. Verse 7, that the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I'll tell you, the last part of that verse should give us all hope. He looks at the heart. He's not concerned whether you and I have tattoos, earrings, piercings, whether we wear designer clothes or we dress from goodwill. God is not looking at any of that. He's not looking at the color of your skin. He's not looking at how much money you have or don't have. He's looking at the heart. The heart. How do you know that? Because nobody in their right mind would have picked me to be pastor here. <laughs> nobody. Why? Because those that knew me, they knew my past behaviors. They knew the temper that Kelly Goins had. They knew I was somebody who could just fly off the handle at, at any given time. In fact, when people... Uh, uh, Ben's dad, Stacy, he, he will tell, tell you, he's plugged in here. He said, but when I first heard Kelly's coming back to watch Bar the Pastor, I was like, well, these are not his words and these are not biblical words. But pretty much, well, we're screwed. <laughs> this church is going to go to nothing. And, and I would agree with him. I, I would agree with him. But I'm so thankful that God doesn't look at the outward. God doesn't look at things. What, what God, God does, he's, he doesn't look and see a lump of clay. He sees what he's going to make out of it. God doesn't see just a hard rock. He sees what he can do with a chisel and a hammer in his hand when he gets to work and what's going to be the result of it. Come on, is anybody thankful? But, but let's be honest, we tend to look at people's qualifications and gifts and talents and and we'll be like man they can pray better they can speak better they have this gift god can use them for sure but me i'm telling you church i'm living proof that God can use anybody. My dad is living proof. My brother Casey is living proof. I look around this room and all I see is living proof that God can use anybody he wants to use. A third group God uses. God uses the broken. The broken. 
One of the best examples in the Bible of this is Peter. You know, Peter was always the first to speak up, and most of the time it was out without thinking. And uh, he was the first to say, Jesus, I'm with you. I mean, he, Peter was the only one that got up and got out on the water. You know, people, we can look down upon him. Well, he sunk, but well, before that, he's the only one besides Jesus that could say he at least took a couple of steps on the water. But on the night Jesus was arrested, as Jesus was being taken away, Peter was following, the Bible says, from a distance. And someone saw Peter, and they said, hey, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? He's like, no, 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 you got the wrong man. You got the wrong man. Later, another person, hey, no, no, I, I could have swore I saw you with Jesus. No, no, you, you, you got the wrong person. Finally, a third time, somebody said, yeah, you were with Jesus. And this is what Luke records happens in that moment. Luke 22, verse 60. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I can't imagine how broken Peter must have been in that moment. I mean, just moments before he's telling Jesus, I will never deny you. Everybody else can run, but not me, Jesus. And when that rooster crows, and he's denied him three times, just like Jesus told him, Jesus looks straight at Peter. And here's what it says. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him, that before the rooster crows today, you would disown me three times. Peter went outside and wept bitterly. I'm not sure anyone could have been any more broken than Peter was in that moment. In fact, I believe Peter probably thought, well, God will never use me again. It's done. It's over. And maybe you felt that way. Maybe you thought, you had it all together. In one moment, you're just saying, man, I'm on the right track. I'm on the right track. And then, bam, out of nowhere, life hits you. Or that addiction you struggle with, you just can't seem to get rid of it. Maybe you have an anger problem, and you've lost your temper in front of way too many people, including your wife and kids. Maybe your marriage ended up falling to pieces, and now you just feel broken. Maybe it's that sin that you just keep struggling with and you think you've got it whipped and then you find yourself right back in it. Maybe you know what it's like to feel exactly like Peter did that day, broken and weeping bitterly. Peter felt disconnected. Like I'm no longer part of what I have been for the past three years. I'm broken. Well, how do you know he felt disconnected, Kelly? Because when you read the account of what happened in Mark, it says Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, they ran to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body in the tomb while Jesus was gone. And then an angel or a, per a person was standing there, and this is what the angel told them. It's Mark 16, 6. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. 
tell his disciples and Peter. You don't think Jesus knew that now Peter felt disconnected, not worthy to be a disciple, not worthy to follow Jesus anymore. And Jesus said, I know he's feeling this way, so go tell my disciples and Peter. You know what Jesus does before he even sees Peter again? He forgives Peter. Why? Because that's what Jesus does. He forgives. He forgives. Peter denied knowing Jesus. He abandoned Jesus. He was incredibly broken. But yet, who did God use on the day of Pentecost to stand publicly in the city square and proclaim the gospel of Jesus and see 3,000 plus people come to the Lord? You know who he used? Peter. Peter. Why? Because God uses the broken. Those, we're getting ready to do something. Those that are part of this final part of my message, I want you to get up and go get in place, please. God used Peter. Now let me ask you guys. Who better to preach forgiveness than someone that's been forgiven of much? Who better to preach and talk about brokenness than someone that was broken, but God healed them and make them whole? God uses the broken. So when we ask the question, why would God use me? Can I be honest? Why would he use you? Probably because you're insecure. Probably because you're the most unlikely person. Probably because you're broken. That's why God would use you. Maybe you felt like you're just not good enough. That you don't have what it takes. You aren't spiritual enough. Maybe you felt looked over. That people just don't expect that much out of you, so why even try? If you felt like that, or even feeling now that your life is just beating you down, and you feel broken, can I tell you? God's not looking at your brokenness. He's not looking at your mess. He's not looking at your failures. He's not looking at your mistakes. What God is looking at is what he sees underneath the lump of clay. What what he created you to be that's under that rock. That if he can just get the chisel and begin to mold and create, then you will rise up and be exactly who God created you to be. So let me ask you one last question as we close. Anybody want to know what God wants to do through you? Come on, anybody. You want to know, what what does God want to do through me? You have to step out to find out. There's only one way to find out what God wants to do through you. Step out. You got to take that step of faith and find out exactly what God wants to do through you. Just like Moses who came at God with all these excuses as to why he couldn't be used of God. And God said to him, go, I will give you the words to say. Just go. Just like David who was just a shepherd boy and nobody felt that much of him because he didn't look the part. And God said, no, he's exactly who I want to use. 
Just like Peter, who messed up big time, denied Christ, abandoned Christ, yet God used him in his brokenness. There's some of you. I'm going to be very honest. You've been around the things of God for a very long time. Maybe you even call this place home a very long time. And you've not done anything significant for God. Because you said, why would God use me? Some of you, Kelly, if he would just show me the whole plan. Come on, how, how many you like to know where you're going? But there's the problem. His word is a lamp unto my feet. I don't know if you've ever been camping, but the light only shows you that next step. And until you take that step, you don't know what the light's going to show you. And you've got to take step one before you can take step two, three, and four. You don't get to see it laid out. God just says, go. I'm sending you. Go, go. What does God want to do for you? My brother Chris, a couple of days ago, he sent me this text. He said, Man, I just listened to this podcast, Chris Valton, and he sends me this quote, and I said, bro, that, that is so good. You don't even know what I'm preaching Sunday, but this is going to tie in perfectly. And it's so powerful. Here's what Chris Valton said. I was saved when I believed in Jesus. I was transformed when I discovered he believes in me. Oh, I don't think, see, I was saved when I believed in Jesus. But what led to transformation was when I discovered He believes in me through my mess, through my brokenness, through my insecurities, through all the junk. He believes in me. God uses the insecure, God uses the most unlikely people, God uses the broken. When I thought about the question, why would God use me? And then I thought, well, what kind of people does God use? My mind automatically began to see different people in our church. That nobody in their right mind would say, yeah, boy, they're going to they're do great things for God. And I began to get this picture of all these people. And I want to show you, Bob, would you slide that? I want you to get a little taste. You want to know what kind of people God would use? You want to, these people, you're about to see some people that ask the same question. Because of my past, because of my brokenness, because of my insecurities, why would God use me? But yet God will. Come on, team. 